Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you're with us as well. Uh, We're looking forward to diving into our final message in our God of Miracles series. But before we do, I wanted to remind you about something really special that our gathering is going to be a part of this next Sunday. So next Sunday night, uh, we're going to have our very first community interest party for a new church that we're going to be planting together uh, in the Marysville Edgewater community. And so, absolutely. And so this is our very first, in fact, five years ago, about this same time, We did a community interest party that we met some of you at uh, for this church. And so we're looking forward to planting a new church. You, if you've been around, you've heard about that a lot. Uh, But big thing, next Sunday night, there's two opportunities. We're going to have one at 5 and one at 6.30. It's at the old firehouse in Marysville that Bridge Coffee Company kind of owns. And so it's going to be a fun night. Pick up an invite card on your way out. We're going to have coffee tasting for everybody. Uh, we're going to have a candy, like a bar buffet for everybody. And we're going to have slime for kids. So, or adults, if, you, if you're into that too. Uh, but it's going to be a fun evening. And we'll take about 15 minutes that, uh, at both of the interest parties to just tell people a little bit about uh, the new church and invite them to be a part of it. But it's a fun time You don't want to miss it. It's really the foundation of what's going to be something real special. So pick up an invite card. Invite somebody that lives in Yuba County to join us. Uh, It's going to be a really, really good night. So this past week, uh, and I know many of you have kind of over this past week, we have all been kind of getting back into some fall rhythms, even though it felt nothing like fall this week. Uh, We took our daughter to her back-to-school night on Tuesday evening. It started at 7, and it was still 100 degrees. And so we're at this back-to-school night, and very quickly, the conversation turned to, hey, afterwards, who wants to go get frozen yogurt? And because it was 100 degrees, and because I dropped my other daughter off at college yesterday, I was like saying yes to everything and it wasn't hard to convince me. We decided after back to school night, some of you guys went as well. We went to Janio and we had frozen yogurt. And if you've ever been to Janio, how many of you have ever been to Janio? Okay, it's one of the gems of our city. So go to Janio. Uh, if you've ever been to Janio, you know that when you walk in Janio, you are faced with a very, very important decision. And here's the decision. If you've been there, you know. There's about six to eight different yogurt machines, and you have to make the decision. I guess you could get all of them if you really wanted to be that guy, but you you have to make the decision of which one you're going to get. And so for me, I I play the same game every single time I walk into Genio. So 99.9% of the time, I end up getting cake batter yogurt in my, you know, you guys know we need, I mean, like we should have that at communion. It's such good stuff. But, but that's what I end up getting. But I play this game in my head and I get a sample of peanut butter. I get a sample of cheesecake. I get a, you know, a couple samples of other ones. And I always end up getting exactly what I always get, the cake batter one, which is never disappointing. In fact, you may want to go there after and, and tell them we sent you. Uh, but but I, I always end up getting the same thing. And maybe you're like that too. You go and maybe you're, you, you play a game and you're like, oh, what kind of ice cream am I going to get tonight? Or what kind of coffee or drink am I going to get at Starbucks? And then you end up getting the exact same thing you always get. And, and those decisions are not super, consequ- they're, they're not like, there's not a lot of consequences if you make a bad decision. 
So if I end up getting cheesecake instead of cake batter, I mean, I might regret it for 10 seconds, but I'm going to throw so much candy in that thing, I'm probably not even going to know. So it's, it's not a hugely consequential decision which yogurt you get, but you know this, though those types of decisions that we have to make all, all the time, you made some decisions this morning that weren't hugely consequential, but you made some decisions but there are decisions in our life that are much more important than what kind of yogurt you're going to get at Janio that do have consequences. They are important. And some of the decisions that we make, they're not only important to our life and what goes on with us, but man, if we make the wrong decision in some of these key areas, it affects our life. It can affect our eternity. It can affect the lives of other people. And so there's some very consequential decisions that all of us are faced with in life. And this morning, we're going to look at a guy in this series, God of Miracles, by the name of Elijah. And Elijah was involved. He was a prophet of God, and he, he did a lot of things. He was a part of a lot of miracles of God. But one of the biggest things that he did while he was ministering in Israel is he called Israel to make the most important decision that their nation would ever make, both for them individually and as a nation. Elijah, if you, you didn't grow up in church, uh, he, he was a guy, he was a prophet. And basically what a prophet was in Israel was a prophet was someone who would call kings and people to God. So after David, which you've probably heard of, even if you didn't grow up in church, and, and after his son Solomon, who was kind of good, and, kinda, and then he, but he also made some terrible decisions, after Solomon, there wasn't a lot of good kings in Israel. There wasn't a lot of kings that followed God. And so God sent prophets like Elijah to call kings and call the nation and call individuals back to doing the right thing. And so that's where Elijah finds himself in 1 Kings chapter 17. He finds himself being given kind of a, a message from God that he's supposed to go tell a very, very evil king named Ahab. So look with me. It'll be up on the screen. You can go in our app and you can find it. Or if you have your Bible in front of you, look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. And we pick up as Elijah is about to talk to Ahab, and you kind of hear what he says to Ahab. It says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, who's the king? He says, As the Lord God of Israel lives in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. And so the, the message that Elijah has to give to the king is a pretty devastating message for a whole nation. He comes to the king and he says, hey, over and it ended up being about three and a half years, there's not even going to be dew on the grass. There's going to be no rain. There's going to be no dew. There's going to be a drought, a famine. These are mostly farmers in this nation. So this is not going to go well. And, and, and here's why. Because you might think, man, that's kind of harsh. Like, why would you, like, God, why would you cause a drought on your people? What, what's going on here? Well, Ahab had led the nation to begin to worship false gods. He had built, he had built a temple to Baal, who was the god of rain and the god of fertility. He had built other idols in, throughout the nation, and he was leading the nation to worship a false god. And so because of this, man, Ahab is not a good guy. In fact, it says this in, in uh, Kings 16.33, it says this, Ahab did more to anger the Lord, God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And that's saying a lot. Ahab did more to anger the Lord, God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And, and so as you think about this guy Ahab, this is a guy that was a terrible guy. He did terrible things, and now God, kind of in a way of judgment and in a way to bring this nation back, he says, there's not going to be any rain for three and a half years. And so after 
after Elijah kind of brings the message to the king, which obviously the king's not happy about, God takes Elijah and he kind of hides him away for the next few years. So Elijah comes before the king, makes this bold pronouncement that's going to affect the entire nation. And then God kind of takes him off the scene a little bit. He has some plans for Elijah. And look with me at what happens to Elijah as God kind of moves him off the scene a little bit, kind of out of the spotlight. It says this in verse 2. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah. He said, leave here, turn eastward and hide at the Wadi Cherith where it enters the Jordan. So this is basically a, an unidentified riverbed. So God's telling him, hey, I want you to go to this river. You're to drink from the wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide, you, provide for you there. So he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Elijah left and lived at the wadi Cherith where it enters the Jordan. So God basically tells him, Hey, buddy, you've just done what you're supposed to do. You made this pronouncement. The king's not happy with you. People are probably trying to get after Elijah because of what he, they think he caused. So God takes him off the scene, and he kind of dumps him on a, you know, a, like a spot right by the river. Maybe he had a hammock. I don't know. And God said, hey, don't even worry about food. I'm actually going to have the ravens just kind of bring you food. And you just kind of hang out here, man. It's just, you take a chill pill and you just enjoy this time here. And, and so that's what he does. And then it says this in verse 7. After a while, the wadi dried up. So, I mean, this is a famine. This is no rain. And so even where he was at, though it was good for a little while, it dried up. And so I don't know if Elijah was like, oh, no, man, now what, God? You, you brought me here. I don't know what to do now. There's no more water. But I love the very next phrase. It says this, then the word of the Lord came to him. So when it got bleak and when the water dried up and when he could have gotten worried and like, oh, no, God's like, oh, I got you. I got, got the next thing to do. And he says, then the word of the Lord came to him and, and, and God told him to do something else. He says, I want you to get up, go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah, random, hang out by the river. Ravens are going to bring you food. Take it, you know, take it easy. River dries up. God says, hey, don't, don't sweat it. I, I got something else for you. And what God does is he sends him basically to the center of where Baal is worshipped, a Gentile area right in the center of the Baal worship. And he says, hey, I've got someone there that's going to take care of you. And so Elijah's like, okay, God, it, this seems kind of random, but I'm in, so I'll go. It says this in verse 10. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, hey, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. So he, he gets there, and neither of these requests are like crazy big requests. Hospitality was important in, in this day and age. And so he sees this widow. I don't know how he knew, like, oh, that's a widow, probably by, based on what she was doing. And he says, hey, would you, could I get a glass of water? And oh, oh while you're going, would you... Would you have a piece of bread to spare as well? And, and what the widow says next is absolutely heartbreaking. This is what the widow says to this uh, request by this prophet. It says, but she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. So she was feeling the effects of this, this uh, no rain, this famine, it was devastating. She was down to just very, very little food. And, and she says this, this is the sad part. Just now I'm gathering a couple sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat and die. She's at a spot. She's so desperate that she is literally just gathering a few sticks she has a little bit of oil, a little bit of stuff to make bread, and she's just going to basically make a little piece of bread for her and her son as like a last meal. 
They'll eat, and then there's nothing left, and there's no hope of getting anything else. And as I thought about this, and and all of us could relate with this, if you had a child or a sibling or someone that was important to you that needed something to survive, you would do anything to help them. So to get to a place where you had given up all hope of even trying, like she was done even trying, This lady was in a place where she was so hopeless, there wasn't even like, hey, a a possible, like this is really probably not going to happen, but I can at least try. There wasn't any of that left. It was over. No hope. And yet this prophet comes to her and says, hey, if you could give me a a piece of bread and a little bit of something to drink, and, and yet she's pulling together her last little bit to feed her son who she loves, who's probably the most important person in her life. And then she's literally going to watch him die as she dies alongside of him. And this is what Elijah says after she makes this, she, she just tells him the truth. It says this, then Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go and do as you have said. But first make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and your son. After, you prophets, do you all not understand? Like, you don't understand what I just said to you? There's no after. This is it. If I make something for you, there's nothing left for us. There is no after. But yet, Elijah says, don't be afraid. And so it says this in verse 14, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says, the flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not dry, run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So Elijah basically says, just go make me a piece of bread and you'll never dip into that oil jar where there won't be oil. You'll never dip into where your flour is, and there won't, you'll never scrape the bottom. God's going to supernaturally provide until the famine's over. And so this, this lady, she illustrates just simple faith and, and really bold obedience as she's trusting what he said, and she goes and does what he said trusting that there's going to be something left for her son. It says this, so she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty, and the oil jug did not run dry. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Elijah. What Elijah said as this lady took what was a bold, obedient step came true. And they ate, and they ate, and they ate, and God provided, and God provided, and God provided. Because this lady just simply trusted and risk and obeyed. In another instance, during the famine, after they've eaten and, and things are going well, that way this, the, her little boy gets sick to the point where he dies. And this is all going on during the famine. And so the, the widow calls for Elijah. And Elijah comes and he cries out to God on behalf of this boy. And this boy raises from the dead. And then it says this in verse 22. So the Lord listened to Elijah. The boy's life came to him again, and he lived. And the mom responded this way in verse 24. Now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. God used, and this is why I think it's just such a a cool thing, this big prophet of God that stood before the king and made this bold There's not going to be rain until I say there's going to be rain. It's three and a half years of famine makes this bold claim in front of the king and and, and this powerful king that everybody else is afraid of. But then just as God was using Elijah to make a bold promise to a very powerful king, God also had a plan for the little family, the widow who had no hope. 
And he was going to use that same Elijah and that same simple obedience that Elijah had as he he obeyed God to talk to Ahab. But hey, I also have a plan for this widow because I see her. I love her. I'm for her. And while the king is probably trying to figure things out and no rain, God is using Elijah and he's using this simple obedience of this widow to just do some incredible things, some miraculous things because of obedience. So Elijah's, it's like a good movie. Like one of my favorite movies or my favorite series was 24. So it's one of those I kind of run back through seasons in my life. I wanted to be Jack Bauer. And I mean, if you, you know, watch that show. Uh, but one of the things I love about the show is there's a main plot there's usually a bomb or something going to go off, and there, there's a main plot, but then there's a bunch of just little plots that they jump back and forth to. And so that's kind of what's happening here. There's this big plot, this big famine, this, this man, this bold thing that they said to the king. The king's unhappy. They're probably looking for Elijah. But all while this is going on, God has these subplots of just people's faithfulness and obedience, and God just showing in small ways how much he cares. And so after Elijah, he's been to the river, and he's been fed by the ravens. He's now spent some time with this widow. He's, there's been miracles that God has done amongst this little family. Now God says to Elijah, okay, it's time to jump into the main plot again. Let's, let's go back. Let's go talk to Ahab. I've got, I've got a, a way that I'm going to use you, Elijah, to make very clear who I am and that Baal and the false gods that these people are worshiping are not real. I've got something I want you to do. And so we jump back into the main plot in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. It says this, Elijah, he's gone to see Ahab. And you can imagine Ahab is not real happy to see Elijah. It says this, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, the one ruining Israel? (laughs) Elijah replied, I have not, don't put this on me. I haven't ruined Israel. We're three and a half years into like desperation. It ain't on me, buddy. He says this, but you and your father's family have because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. And then he says this in verse 19. He says, all right. Elijah says, summon all Israel to meet on Mount Carmel. Because if if this famine didn't make clear that my God is real, you're about to see something else that's going to make that very clear. So gather all of Israel. He says, I want you to also gather along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab, pretty desperate guy at this point, he summons all the Israelites. I mean, we're talking lots of people. He gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. And so think about it. You got a whole nation. You got Elijah. He's like the, like the one good guy in the mix. Then you have all the people and all these prophets of the idols, all, over 800 prophets and kind of priest of these idols, all the religious leaders that have turned and said that these idols are real. And so they meet on Mount Carmel. And it says this in verse 21, then Elijah approached all the people and he said, he asked a question. He asked a question. He he called them to a decision. He asked a question that is as applicable today as it was then. And here's what he asked. After all these people are together, he says this, how long will you waver? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Basically, Elijah, he says, How long are you going to pretend? How long are you going to play games? 
How long are you going to be one person at church and, and another person at work all week? Like, like, how long are you going to be between two opinions? How long are you going to try to play both sides of the fence? And what he does is he calls people to go all in and he, 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 on either side. He's like, if, if Baal's the guy, then go hard. If, if a false god is, 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 is real, then go all in. If God is real, the God of Israel, then, then you need to go all in, but don't be in the middle. You, you, you pretend that the middle is a little bit of both. No, the middle is the enemies. And so he calls him. He says, quit, halt, quit being back and forth. That, that word waver actually means to limp. It's like you're in between. You're limping back and forth. A lot of indecision. He says, go hard one way. But quits hanging out in the middle, just limping back and forth, indecision. I mean, God, he's, he's basically saying, have the courage to just go all in. If an idol's real, then go. If Satan's real, if, if, if what this world has to offer you is, is, gives you hope and fulfillment and is what you want, then go all in. But if God... The God of Israel, the God of the New Testament, the God of the Bible is real. Go all in. Have the courage to go all in. And then he says this, while you're deciding, after they're like, oh, while you're deciding, here's what we're going to do. And he says this, Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and place it on the wood, but not like the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not like the fire. All right, sounds easy enough. Like, all right, 450, y'all probably could do this. Y'all got a lot of people to help you. Y'all get a bull, cut it up, like we're going to do a sacrifice. Y'all put it on your altar. And then me, all by myself, I, I don't need help. I'll, I'll do the same thing. I'll put it on my altar, but nobody lights the fire. Just, just leave it without fire. Okay, sounds easy enough. And then he says this, Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers with fire, he is God. And all the people answered, that's fine. So it's on. Let's go. And Elijah, he's a pretty polite guy, he says, all right, well, you guys go first. You, you, get, you get first go. And so it says this in verse 26. So imagine this. Just, just put yourself, if you can, if you have, your imagination's like working well this morning, put yourself on Mount Carmel, which you can actually go to, uh, and you can stand in the same place, and, and imagine the nation of Israel, imagine 450 prophets of Baal, probably the king, all the important officials, and Elijah has literally just challenged all of them to, for lack of a better word, a duel. Like, okay, we'll see if your God's real. We'll see if your God can light up this fire and burn this without anybody lighting fire, any human. And so that's what he challenged. So they, they go first. It says, so they took the bull and that, that he gave them. He, they prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But shocker. There was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. So half the day is gone. Baal hasn't responded. Elijah seems to have a little bit of sarcasm in, in him. And so he decides he's going to poke a little bit. So he, he, he's, he's going to poke a little bit. He says this. At noon, I mean, they've been sitting there for you know, a few hours waiting for this thing to happen. At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly. For he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and wake him up. One translation literally says, maybe he's going to the bathroom. I mean, maybe y'all just need to speak a little bit louder. Maybe he's gone. Maybe he's asleep. Y'all, obviously, he's, I'm sure he's real, but he's just not hearing you guys yet. So he's poking a little bit. And, and it's starting to get embarrassing for these people. And so they get a little more desperate and they do some things to try to get their God's attention. 
So it says this, they shouted loudly, and they cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed, not like a little bit, gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. So, I mean, we are about eight hours into this. They are cutting themselves, dancing, screaming their heads off. Nothing's happening. So, at this point, Elijah's like, okay, my turn. So, it says this in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near, to, near me. So, all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. So he's like, all right, let's rebuild this altar. He built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made it, and this is like, he's like, I'm, I'm going to take it up a, a notch. He, he built a trench around the altar. Like, I wonder if they were like, why is he building a trench? Like, what? He, he built the altar. Now he's like digging a trench around it. This is weird, Elijah. What are you doing, buddy? He said he's made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and placed it on the wood. He said, and this is what I love, he said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. So he says, let me build my little altar. Let me get my, my, my bull there. And You know what? Before I call on God, let's do one more thing. Those four, those pitchers, could you fill those things up four times? And why don't you just come, just drench the altar, get the, the bowls just soaking wet. And they're probably like, this dude, we knew he was an idiot, but now it's like another level. And so they do. And then, then Elijah's like, you know what? I, I don't know if that's good enough. Let's, let's actually hit that one more time. So they go, they get it again. They put, put the water all over it. And, and then just to be kind of take it up another level, he's like, you know what? While we're at it, let's hit it one more time. Let's, let's get it. Go fill it up. So three times they drench the altar to the point where that trench around it is full of water. And then this is what happens. At the, at the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and he said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to let today... Let it be known that you are God. Let it today, God, make it clear that you are God in Israel and that me, I'm your servant. And that at your word, I have done all these things. God, let them know that this is all about you and I'm just your servant. Verse 37, there's no cutting, there's no dancing, there's no yelling. It just says, Lord, answer me. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And it says this in verse 38, Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering. But not only that, it consumed the wood. It consumed the stones. It consumed the dust. And it licked up all the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And it was in this moment that this nation, they acknowledged God. They acknowledged God as the true God. And they acknowledged that the, the, the false gods that they had been worshiping were not real. All the false prophets, they were already bloody, so Elijah's like, let's finish it off. Let's kill all the false prophets. All the false prophets are killed. The people all acknowledge God. And shortly after this, God provides rain for the nation. If you continue to read, you see it. And, and, and here's, as you read this, you think, man, that's, that's kind of crazy. It, it is, this is crazy. But, but as you look at this passage and you think about what's going on here, most of us, we're not going to deal with this situation. Like, like most of us have not and will not be in a situation quite as dramatic 
as what Elijah went through and what, what Elijah saw. But all of us have to grapple with the exact same question that Elijah told the nation of Israel they needed to grapple with. Every single one of us has to grapple at some time in our life, maybe today, with the same question that Elijah posed to the people. And the question is this, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, and you can fill in any false god that we worship in our day and age, if you just fill it in, if that's really God, follow him. But, but don't, don't be in between. And that same question that Elijah, he, he posed to them, that, I mean, several thousand years ago in this dramatic scene, God is posing to each of us, how long? Will we waver? How long will we limp with indecision between a little bit of God, a little bit of the world? How long? If God is God, follow him. If idols are God, if money is God, if you fill in the blank is God, then go hard. Follow him. See, no matter where you are as it relates to faith, maybe you're here, you're investigating faith. Maybe you're watching online and you're not sure what you believe. Or maybe you've been following God like for 30 or 40 years you've had a relationship with Jesus. No matter where you are as it relates to faith, this verse and this question calls us to two things. No matter where we are in our faith, no matter if we even think we have faith, this question Several thousand years after it was asked, calls us to two things, simple things. The first thing it calls us to is it calls us to decide. The way Jesus' brother James said it, he said it this way. He said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so Elijah, really God, through the prophet Elijah, he called these people, and he's calling us to decide, to decide. Elijah had to decide, is God who he says he is? The widow had to decide, is God who he says he is? The nation of Israel came to a point where they had to decide, who is really God, and what direction am I going to go in? They had to decide. See, unfortunately, instead of deciding once, the enemy lies to us. And the enemy makes us think that we can just decide in the moment. I mean, so we can leave all of our options open. We don't want to miss out. And so I don't necessarily have to decide. I just can, as things come, I'll just make a decision to kind of go one way or the next. I, I, I just want to keep all my options open. And, and God, through the prophet Elijah, is saying, no, that doesn't work because the middle is owned by the enemy. You need to decide. Decide. Make a decision. If God is God, follow him. If an idol or a false god is God, then go hard after them. But this verse, it calls us to, number one, it calls us to decide. In fact, it's, it becomes very clear that God says, let's decide. But then the second thing that this verse calls us to, this really this question, is not just to decide but secondly, to walk, to spend the rest of our life walking out our once decision, our decision, to decide and then to walk out that decision in our relationships, in our finances, in our work, and in all the different areas, in our parenting Everything that we do, instead of deciding every morning, like, hey, is today the day? Am I going to follow God today? Am I going to follow idols today? God says, no, no, no. You shouldn't wake up every morning and make that decision. You should decide once and then every morning get up and say, God, how can I walk out the decision I already made in all the areas that you're going to bring me through this day? Walk. Walk it out. Instead, what we try to do is we, like I said, we try to, man, I don't want to decide. I want to, if you haven't decided, you have decided. You're just playing with your mind. 
If you're like, no, I'm not going to decide. I'm just going to keep my options open. You've already decided. You've decided to follow a false god. And that false god is making you think you haven't. So decide and then walk out your decision. And, and, and you, we all know this. If you've been following God for any length of time, that's not always easy. It's not always easy to walk out our decision in our marriage. It's not always easy to walk out that decision in our finances. It's not always easy to walk out that decision when somebody's hurt you and you need to forgive. It's not, it's not easy. But, but here's the thing. When we've made the decision, we already know what direction we're going to go. We just ask God for help to walk it out. We don't decide then. We've already decided, God, you are God. I trust you. I'm going to do things your way. So help me when that's hard to do in my finances. Help me when it's hard to do that in my relationships. Help me when it's hard to do and you fill in the blank. We decide. And then we walk. Over the past few weeks, we've taken some time to Look at some of the miraculous things, really in the, New Te- or in the Old Testament. There's some things in the New Testament, some miraculous things too, but mostly in the Old Testament, we looked at some of the miraculous things that God did in the lives of people like Abraham and Moses and Gideon. And we could look, we could take more time and we could talk about Esther. We could talk about Daniel. We could talk about Ruth. We could talk about Joseph. We could, we could continue the series and just continue to talk about miracles that God did in the lives of people. And here's what we would find. In every single case, those miracles followed a person that believed and obeyed God. None of those people were perfect. Every one of them made mistakes. But the miraculous things that happened in their life followed them saying yes to God, followed them believing and obeying, deciding and walking out their decision. And it's not a secret formula. It's not a guarantee. Like if I do it God's way, then these miraculous things are going to happen. Not at all. But all throughout history, all throughout biblical history, God seems to show up in special and even miraculous ways For people who decide to follow him, who trust him, and who walk out their decision. Just test God. Test God. Look, look, go all throughout the scriptures. You will not find one perfect person. But whenever you see a miracle where God just seems to show up in in a special and a miraculous way... Most of the time, it follows somebody stepping out, believing God, obeying God when things, when it was hard, when it wasn't popular, when it didn't make sense. But they still walked out a decision they made, and God showed up in a very special and even miraculous way. The greatest example of that we find in the New Testament. When somebody that was perfect showed up. And did something really miraculous. His name was Jesus. He lived a sinless life. At the age of 33, he was beaten and crucified. His blood was shed, not for his sin, but for our sin. They took his lifeless body off the cross and they put his body in a grave. And three days after they put his body in a grave, he woke up. He's alive today. He did the miraculous. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated the enemy. And he invites us to the most miraculous thing in the history of the world, a relationship with his father that he provides for us. And guess how you get that relationship? You believe. You believe. You trust. 
You trust that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you. And you put your faith in him. And then what he does is he literally, it says the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you and helps you walk out your decision to be a follower of Jesus. But there will come times, even as a follower of Jesus, where we will find ourselves listening to the enemy, though we don't have to. Listening to the enemy And it's in those moments that we have to remind ourselves, we have to renew that decision we made once for all to follow God, to believe. And then we ask God for help to live that out. There's literally a guy in the New Testament that that looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, I do want to believe. I just need you to help me believe. I I just, I I do, I do, I I just need your help. And Jesus didn't look at him and be like, get out of here. He's like, yes, yes, yes. And so the kind of the ball's in all of our courts. If you're watching online, the ball's in your court. And this is something that you would never probably think a pastor would say, but this is just what God said. So I'm just going to repeat what God said. How long will we falter between two opinions? If God is God, follow him, go hard. If he's not, go hard the other way. That's what God said. Because honestly, if, 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 if all this isn't true, if, if all this is just a bunch of made-up stuff, then shame on us because we're wasting a few years that we have left. But if all this is true... What we're doing is we're investing in an eternity that will never end with God. And so go hard. Choose and go hard. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, these are miracles that we've looked at in this last few weeks. Lord, that that some of us have heard all of our lives because maybe we grew up in a church with a little Sunday school class and we, we heard about these stories and they were almost like fairy tales to us. But God, these were real people that dealt with real things, that dealt with tough things, but yet believed you and you showed up in special and miraculous ways. And God, I pray for each of us, whether we're a follower of you, whether we're somebody that's investigating faith, or whether we're someone that, man, we have been in with you for a long time. I pray that today would be the day of decision. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if if you're watching online or you're here this morning, and you would say, Chris, I'm kind of find myself in that place of I'm not a follower of Jesus. At this point, I haven't decided to follow Jesus. Today would be a great day to start that. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. You don't have to have all your questions answered. You just have to know that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. They put his body in a grave, and he rose from the grave, and he invites you into a relationship with God. You just have to accept that, believe that. And if you're here or you're watching online and you say, Chris, I want to. I I want to start a relationship with God. Just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching or listening to this, just say something like this to God from your heart to his. Just say, God, I, I admit to you that I have sinned. I admit to you that I've gone my own way. Just tell him. And then just tell him, God, I believe. I believe that Jesus, your son, died and rose from the grave for me. And then just invite God. God, I want a relationship with you. Come into my life and transform me. The scriptures say that when that happens, the Holy Spirit of God begins to live inside you and you become a new creation from the inside out. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you made that decision, we'd love to celebrate with you. You can, if you're here in the room, there's a card right in front of you that just says, decision. Fill that out. Drop it in the offering basket. We'll text you or call you this week. Just want to rejoice with you, see if you have any questions. 
If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc. You'll find that card there. Maybe you're here and you'd say, Chris, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've you know, made that decision previously in my life. But amid all that's going on in your life, you found yourself believing the lie that you can hang out in the middle. You've believed the lie that maybe you're missing out. And if we're honest, we all have at some point in our life. We've all believed that lie. Would you just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're at, would you make today the day that you reaffirm your decision to go all in and follow God 100%. You don't have to wake up tomorrow and decide you can make that and reaffirm that decision today and then wake up tomorrow and just walk out that decision. It may change your schedule. It may change who you listen to. It may change how you spend your money. It may, it may change some things in your life. But I promise you, you will not regret at the end of your life. You will not regret when we're one second into eternity that you made a decision to go hard after God. You will not regret it. On the other hand, if you decide to follow idols, if you decide to listen to the lies of the enemy, it won't take you one second into eternity to regret that decision. Lord, I pray that you would work in our heart. I know you're working in our hearts right now, God. I know that you're speaking to people that are watching online. They're listening to this on a podcast. Lord, we're sitting here at, in Yuba City at church. You're speaking to us. God, I pray that you would make clear to us the areas of our life that we have not given over to you. And I pray that today would be the day that we reaffirm our decision to follow hard after you. This morning, Steve and Sue are down front. The band's about to play, and we're going to sing a final song together. If, if there's a decision that you want to make, if there's, you just want somebody to pray with you, maybe you just want to come down front and pray and just reaffirm a decision that you've already made. Maybe it's starting a relationship with God. Whatever God's telling you to do, my prayer is that you would simply and boldly obey. In Jesus' name. Amen.